Wow. Thanks for being here. I don't know where we begin with this. Thank you. I certainly would like to begin as uh, I have many times in just saying that uh, if you're a guest here this morning, Welcome. <laughs> really good to have you here. Um, and what a strange Sunday to stumble in. Um, but if you are, I hope you find what I've found in this place. Grace and kindness and uh, patience. Um, curiosity, pursuit, hope, vision, a mission that couldn't be any simpler, but couldn't be any more profound. Just lift up Christ. I hope you find something this time and any other time that you choose to come that God's Spirit speaks and you feel touched and you feel determined to make the world a better place by who you are and how you live. That's what I've found here. I've said many times that uh, even if I wasn't pastor, this is the church I'd like to attend now I get the chance, I guess. Thanks, Mark. My <laughs> um, thanks as well for those who made the choices to uh, pick Psalm 74. Um, they're a hard psalm. It's kind of difficult at the end of that after we say the word of the Lord to say thanks be to God, but that's what we do. It's a psalm of lament. And as many of those psalms are, they contain just interesting sections. Verses 1 through 11, psalmist just kind of rips on life, complains to God, and kind of gives God some instructions in case God wasn't paying attention. Isn't it nice that someone modeled for us that that seemingly is okay. Then verses 12 to 18 
It feels like the psalmist then just kind of steps into the things that hold the psalmist steady, those things that hold the writer in a place where I can take a few more steps, I can take a few more steps, I can get through this day. The things that have held firm and feel like solid ground. And then closes at the end of that psalm, 19 through 23, with the uh, the wonderful privilege that we're given to simply ask God. God, if I were in your shoes, this is what I'd do. God, if I had your power, this is what I'd do. God, this is what I'm praying. And in the midst of it, simply the acknowledgement, and you're God and I'm not. I have a question that's posed to me often. I'm guessing you probably have had this experience as well. How are you feeling? Huh, wow. I'm not real, real good with feelings. Um, My typical response is, give me a moment, I need to think about it. Which is just the opposite of what it means to be in touch with your feelings. I understand that. But I don't always know how to describe the feelings, and so I have to go to my head to begin to search for the words that can describe whatever it is that's going on in this other place inside of me. There is this wonderful tool that many of you have seen. Um, It's called the Feelings Wheel, and there are several versions of it. For those of you that are just not very adept at giving language to feelings, you can just look at this wheel and you can start in the center and kind of find the big, big time feelings that are in the center of the wheel and then go out of the wheel and see the different language expressions of that feeling. You know, you can start with sadness or anger and then find your way through the wheel to other words that kind of articulate it in a more specific way. It's a great tool for many of us who just live in our head and have no idea the language you're talking when you say, how do you feel? Because that person will often say it five more times in the conversation, but how do you really feel? Here's what I've come to realize, both in my head and my heart is I can be holding a whole lot of feelings at the same time. And they can feel like they are in different parts of the spectrum of the galaxy of feelings. Kind of like the psalmist. It's been referenced the interesting journey that I've been on. I wrote the essay that's been referenced back on February 10th. Interesting how you remember dates when they become important in other ways. March 18th was the uh, moment when I was asked to step down, so it's been a while since March 18th. And March 20th, little Margot was born into our family. My oldest daughter's newborn, 
And I realized, oh yeah, I can be struggling with frustration and then take a look at this little one and just breathe deeply of grace and kindness and joy. I hold those things simultaneously. So, came to realize I just keep making circles around this feelings wheel all over. And, and it's not just like, you know, one day this and one day that. It's more like about these three minutes of this, and then all of a sudden it switches to this, and then onto something else. And that's part of what makes us human. What makes it hard, but also what makes it hopeful. What makes it challenging, and yet what leads us to great connection to others and the breadth of feelings that we collectively share in community and hold one another in grace and love. One of those feelings that sometimes comes up is frustration, and sometimes you don't know how to give expression to feelings. I get the, you know, just say it, just let it out. I understand, but how do you then express it in ways that actually make a difference or help you or help somebody else? Years ago, it's been about 32 years ago, I've shared this before, but my eldest daughter taught me a wonderful lesson. By the way, within a very brief time of the first verdict of the hearing that came in the middle of the summer, if I haven't told you, it was about that exact same time that I found out that my youngest is pregnant to have a child as well. So we're at about 20 weeks along. And once again, what a joy as those things, I don't know if they come in pairs, but they have. A little concerned about what's going to happen at the birth of that one in my life, but <laughs> another adventure. My oldest uh, was in the car with me, and uh, I drove an old Nissan Sentra. I've mentioned it to you before. It had vinyl floors. I don't think anybody sells vinyl floors anymore on a car. Um, you could just hose it out if you wanted to. It was a pretty simple car. You looked in the engine, it either went or it didn't. There was no air conditioning, there were no add-ons, there, I, you know, roll, it just, that was the car we had. And I had taken out the right front seat, um, because I could. <laughs> Made it easier to haul things in, and so when I would drive my daughter, it would be like I was chauffeuring her, and this particular time she was seated in the back, and I'm hoping she was seat belted in. I can't remember in this moment, and I'm sorry that I am not more confident of my good parenting. We came to a turn, and I, I think it was, I don't know if I was rushing to get through it, but I turned rather abruptly. And unbeknownst to me, my daughter got jostled badly in the backseat, like it just kind of threw her off to one side. And again, I don't know if she then unbuckled her seatbelt or if she just stepped forward because there's no seat there. And she was small enough that she could stand upright. 
So she puts her hand on my shoulder, and she says, Dad, I would never say you were a jerk because that would hurt you in your heart. <laughs> but I think it a lot in my head. So maybe that, for me, has been the great lesson. Just to be every once in a while able to say, I would never say, you're a jerk. I wouldn't want to hurt you in your heart, but I think it over and over again. <laughs> Holding those things in tension as we live in community. Those moments where things are hard in those moments where things are joyful. I mentioned a few moments ago, having maybe some of you stumbled in, I want to say one of the wonderful things that I love about this community, and I have said it before, I've been formed by this place. Um, and one of the wonderful things as I'm often asked in the vocation that I've been, what's the hardest thing that you do? And I'm not sure it's anything I do, but it's both the hardest and the most joyous. Isn't that interesting how sometimes those go, go together? The hardest and the most joyous is having a group with such wonderful diversity of thought and ideas and perspectives and experiences and the tension that always arises with differences in perspectives and viewpoints on a variety of issues, and to recognize that we come united in Christ. It's not that we're uniform. It's that in the midst of that kind of mix and diversity, we hold each other in the one thing that binds us together, and that's Christ's love. And I love that about this place. So like the psalmist does, what do I do when I come to the end of the litany of the things that the psalmist writes in verses 1 through 11, and I begin to focus in and zero in on the things that hold me steady. The things that feel like solid ground to me. Well, the one thing that's obvious is looking out on a sea of faces who have been a source of learning. Place of safety. I just want to say up front that I know church has not always been a safe place for all people at all times, and I know that. And I'm sorry for that. And I think that's what I long for, maybe more than anything, is that this would be that place where we can put our foot in the water offer a comment and know that it's safe.
and I look out over a sea of faces that have been that to me over and over and over again. My mind uh, goes back to how I even got here. Kay and I were living up in Rancho Bernardo in grad school and couldn't find a place to land and had a suggestion that we come here with our newborn, no family nearby, and sweet, incredible uh, people in the nursery took our newborn on the Sunday that we visited and were so overwhelmed with the way in which they took care of our little girl that we said, uh, we need to go back there every time they're open. <laughs> Fill in whatever storyline you want as to why that was important. But a year and a half, two years later, Dean Nelson took off for his own graduate school work. And I was asked to do the unbelievable, which was to try and teach the open door class for a year. I don't know how anybody does that, even Dean, but... <laughs> the end of one of those classes, Judy Shoemaker, came up to me in the church service in Brown and said, um, I just got to ask you a question. You sure you're not called to preach? <laughs> Judy, that's so sweet of you. <laughs> I think it was 16 years later, I am sitting in the garage, ready to leave in Oklahoma City, and the phone rings, and I pull it out, and it's Judy Shoemaker. And she said, you sure you're not? <laughs> because my husband's stepping down from the pastorate here, and I think you ought to think about it. Thanks, Judy. So, I go to that which is solid, and I think about you. I go to the things that we've talked about, and I think of the scriptures that we've considered over these years. I think one of the themes that I've returned to over and over again is that Psalm 1611 passage where the psalmist is using the voice of God and saying, I've made known to you the path of life. Where I find, pardon me, the psalmist is saying to God, you have made known to me the path of life. Where I find joy in your presence, eternal pleasures in your right hand. And the imagery there is walking down a path, the path of life, backwards into your future. An old Hebrew saying, walking backwards into your future, because I have no idea what's coming. But if I look backwards, I see all the ways in which God has taken care of you and me in the past. And I can recite the stories. And I can remember the moments. And I look into the presence of God, and that Hebrew word is the face of God as well and referenced often in the past and referenced in the letter to the open door this last week, the words to that wonderful song. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, 
and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I know that. And so I go back to that which I know. I go back to the beautiful poetry, the storylines that hold me close. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And he separated the light from the darkness. He called the light day, the darkness he called night. And it was good. And that evening in the morning, the first day, I hold on to that, as I know you do too. I have a habit that's held me steady through all of these years. I um, have to test the mic every Sunday morning that I've been up here. And the comment always is, okay, start talking. Well, what do you say? Don't want to start in on your sermon and give it away. <laughs> so I just quote some of the passages that hold me steady. And I'm afraid that uh, some of the sound people can repeat them as well as I can maybe after all of these years. Romans 6, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may abound? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? By no means we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? But we were therefore buried together with him through baptism unto death in order that just as Christ was raised to the glory of the Father, we too may have new life. I hold on to that. Holds me steady. It's God's grace. The gospel, it seems for me, has gotten simpler and simpler. I think maybe because the more and more I study, the more and more I realize I don't know, and the only way I can grapple with that is that, oh, this is pretty simple. The good news is Jesus came to show the way and to make the way. And Jesus invites us to follow the way. He says in John 14, if you love me, just obey my command. And my command is this, love one another. Okay. Let me offer one more as we collectively fall in the line of generation after generation after generation of how we go about doing that. Because that's what Scripture is to me. It's this trail of generations trying to figure out 
how to love God and how to love others. In Colossians, the writer says, Since then you've been raised with Christ. She was just in Romans. Maybe it's the same writer. Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Set your minds on things above. Interesting, grabs both minds and hearts in this passage and says, Get your thoughts fixed on that which is above. Not on earthly things. Don't ignore them. Don't forget they're there. Don't pay, stop paying attention. Just don't set your hearts and your minds on them. And down in verse 12, it calls us to something very specific. Therefore, dearly loved of God, Clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility. Put on gentleness and patience. Bear with one another. Forgive one another just as God in Christ forgave you. And over all these things, put on love which binds them together in perfect unity. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, together, collectively, we were called to peace and be thankful. I thought over and over again, what it was that I wanted to make sure that I said. I brought children's books thinking that would be a great thing to do. <laughs> when asked, how are you really doing? One of my good dog Carl books. And let me read it to you. If you're not familiar with Good Dog Carl books, there are no words at all. <laughs> and sometimes there are no words. One of my favorite that I've pulled from often is my Squids Will Be Squids book, filled with wonderful fables. Um, and I have shared many of these with you, but I've never shared with you the closing of Squids Will Be Squids, who wrote this kind of as a continuation of Aesop's fables in more modern day um, storytelling. And um, it's entitled The Very Serious Historical Afterward, written by the author, who says, you've just finished reading fables about all kinds of bossy, sneaky, funny, annoying people. I mean, animals. <laughs> what fun, you are thinking. I should write some of those myself, you are thinking. But before you get started, it just occurred to me 
that you might want to know one more little bit about Aesop. Aesop used to tell this one fable about a real bossy jerk lion who ruled a city. When the real bossy jerk guy who ruled Aesop's city heard this fable, he didn't like it. So he had Aesop thrown off a cliff. Moral, if you're planning to write fables, don't forget to change the people into animals and avoid places with high cliffs. <laughs> Should have read that a while ago. <laughs> But the one thing I wrote down that I wanted to make sure was clearly heard. And that is, God loves you. And I love you. I think that's the best place to start. And I think I think we should never forget that that's the place where we always have to end. God loves you, and I love you. Russ? Thank you. Thank you. I don't know if I can go say that.